Welcome to Money Tips by Charles Kelly, author of Yes, Money Can Buy You Happiness. Charles spent over 25 years in financial services, working for banks, insurance companies, and as a qualified independent financial advisor running his practice before setting up his speaking, consultancy, and property business. Money Tips will help you save, make, and accumulate more money, whether you are a business owner, entrepreneur, employee, or still searching for your vocation. Good afternoon once again from Charles Kelly Money Tips. Today I have a very special guest who is Paul Rogers, Synergy Commercial Finance. He's an independent commercial finance broker. Uh, I've known Paul many years because we worked for the same bank many years ago, and uh, I believe you're going to tell your story, Paul, but uh, you, you took redundancy. But um, right. I, I believe about 2016, you decided to... Yeah, that's right. I'd done over 35 years working for NatWest Bank and uh, the offer of redundancy came along. I suppose it's, you always wonder, can I make it out in the real world by myself? Can I get along and can I generate an income? So I thought, you know, why not take the redundancy? Why not set up as a commercial finance broker and see where it takes me? And... Uh, yeah. Seven years later, I'm still here, Charles, which is good news. Well, it's good news. I know a lot of people, when I worked in the bank, I came in as, I was called the outsider. And, oh, you're from the outside, you know, because I didn't join when I was 16 and worked my way up. But I suppose if you've been in that kind of family, you're scared of the outside almost. It's like, oh, my God, it's the big, bad, cold world, you know. But you've done all right. I mean, you and you always did commercials anyway didn't you I remember uh, very much so I, I, I spent over 35 years with NatWest probably the last 15 or 20 of those in the commercial world maintaining relationships for any businesses up to a turnover of about 50 odd million pounds so I had a good grounding in it myself it's just as you say you just wonder what it's like jumping over the other side of the fence and not getting an income from day one whereas when you work for a large lender like NatWest, your income's there month in, month out, fingers crossed. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And, uh, of course, when you're with NatWest, you could only use NatWest's products, but now you've got a whole world of products, a whole scope of products out there and lenders and specialist lenders, so it must be almost liberating. Oh, it it is, and one of the good things is I actually bought the franchise that I operate under the banner of Synergy Commercial Finance, but there's probably about 70 or 80 franchisees across the UK operating under that banner. And the great thing is the, the head office get the lenders for us to work with. So at the moment, we've got 273 lenders that we can work with in the commercial space, wow. including all the high street banks. And and to put that, I suppose, into some sort of context, between us all last year, we managed to source and draw down just under a billion pounds worth of lending, which is a huge amount of money. Wow. And most of us have got backgrounds from banking so the lenders like to work with us because they know we've got experience in the sector and some of those lenders also give us better rates and terms for our clients and perhaps the client can obtain themselves if they went direct because they know that we're putting in so much business for them Charles. It's fantastic I suppose your your franchise takes care of things like compliance and, and that sort of stuff. and Oh, oh, oh very much so. And, and, and again, you know, a key for someone working with a commercial finance broker is, I'll say, to make sure that that person's a member of the NACFB, which is the National Association of Commercial Finance Brokers, make sure they're FCA regulated. And also, like, 
any third party anyone works with, you need to understand what their individual background is. You know, if you employ a roofer, you wouldn't want to employ a roofer who's been the, doing the job six months. If you had a plumber in your house, you'd want to know you've done that before. So again, you know, if people do go to commercial finance brokers, the key is just understanding that individual's background, I'll say, Charles. Right. And so the NS, NACFB, I, I expect they're, they, they, they're a regulator within the industry, are they? How do yeah, they, 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 they are. They Regulation is very, very heavy on the residential mortgage side. It's not so heavy on the commercial side, but it is slowly coming into play. And we can see things changing as time goes on, Charles. And, and, and certainly it's, it's for the good of the industry if we do become regulated. I've got no issue with that. And we need to be clear. We need to be transparent on everything we do. So why wouldn't we be that way? Yeah, I think the same thing's happening in the estate agency world which I'm also involved in, that, that's coming in gradually. But why not? Because these are the biggest transactions you make in your lives, you know, buying a property, mortgages, and, and, and especially on commercials. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, again, you went to the residential property market and the residential mortgages, people might buy a house maybe four, five, six times throughout their whole lifespan. How many commercial properties do they ever buy? One, maybe two? Yep. It's very, very small. And it, it, it's like anything, I suppose. If I was so inclined, I could do my plumbing at home. I could do my car servicing. Do I want to spend the time doing that when I'm not sure what I'm doing? Or do I want to work with someone who's, who's a professional in the sector? Right. So how do you find your clients then? How do you get out? Was it through? My, my clients are all, are all through recommendation, past clients of mine when I was at NatWest Bank. You know, I, I'm still working with clients from 20 years ago, and I even got one client I used to work with over 30 years ago. So it just makes life easier for them in that when I become involved in the transaction in, in, in the property finance side, I'm involved in the case from start to finish, Charles. It's not just me going out to a number of lenders and finding the best offering. I'll then be involved from the application through to the sanction, if the lender comes out with conditions which I don't think are appropriate to that case, I'll challenge back the lender. I then get involved chasing the valuer, chasing the solicitor, chasing the client. You know, from the client's point of view, I will regularly update them on what's happening with their case. But they just know they can sit back, leave me to do it, and I'll keep them fully involved the whole way along. And I probably, I'm guessing now, I'll probably save them 50 or 60 hours time throughout that transaction. That's amazing. Well, you know yourself how, how slow property's been over the last few months. Well, you add to that, you need some finance behind it, and, and that slows the case down even further, unfortunately. Well, I know that the, the residential market has slowed up considerably, but what about what about commercial market? I mean, we hear about offices not used so much and uh, changing them to resi and that sort of thing, but how are you finding the market? It, it, it is much slower than it has been charles albeit the last few weeks i'm starting to see it pick up again okay. but i think people moving into commercial there is opportunities to look at different things now and you mentioned there a moment ago about offices being turned into residential and certainly if, if, if you can get a property with permitted development rights to do some changes that's a great opportunity for someone um and, and people are thinking okay on a residential if I get a tenant in there, it's going to be an assured short old tenancy. Uh, it might be for six months, it might be for 12 months. 
if you get a commercial property with a commercial tenant in, and one of the keys is going to be getting the right tenant in. These tenants predominantly sign seven-year leases, 15-year leases, 25-year leases. Yeah. And provided you've got the right tenant who is strong enough and you've seen the, the, the accounts and the strength of them, well, that lease also encompasses a, a full insuring and repairing lease. So residential, as a landlord, if it's a buy-to-let, you own. If the tenant's got a problem, he rings you up, I've got a leak. The boiler's not working. Can you sort it out, please, Charles? On a commercial, that full repairing and insuring lease all passes over the tenant. It's your property, so to speak, Mr. Tenant. You've got to sort out any problems with it. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and also, if, if if unfortunately they don't pay, it, it's usually much easier to end the, the agreement. With Whereas with residential, you have to go to court, you have to serve notices. Maybe they go all the way to the end of, of bringing in bailiffs. It can take six months to a year. Oh, very much so. And certainly from that side of things, if you do have a poor tenant, as you rightly say, it is much easier and much quicker to hopefully get rid of that tenant, Charles. Okay. So what are you busy with at the moment? Is it like residential developments, like a commercial to residential or development finance? Or I suppose it's a bit of a mix of everything, really. I'm, what I'm starting to see now, uh, and we do buy to lets in company names, we do development finance, et cetera, et cetera. What I'm starting to see is people still looking at buy to lets through their limited company, but they're actually migrating with the purchase more up north. Because obviously if you buy a property down south, you're normally guaranteed that there's going to be a, a good increase in the value over a set period of time. But yeah. the rental yield is very low. Correct. Yeah. Now seeing people move up north, Liverpool, Manchester, Burnley, they're buying a property up there, which is much, 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 much cheaper. Cheaper. The potential increase in property is much lower. But whoa, the rental yield. I mean, I'm looking at one now, for example, um, in the Burnley area, where it's an HMO with four rooms. They're buying it for just under £150,000. The rental yield on that is 17%. Wow. So they're going, well, I've got a few properties down here. Well, we're going to get the growth on them, Charles. Well, let me get a couple of properties in another part of the country where I can get some a good rental yield and a good rental growth. So can you give me an example of how much they would need to put down on that HMO and what rate they would be charged? Just, just a, Yeah, as you appreciate, it's going to be very ballpark because I, I could tell you an interest rate today that could be disappeared tomorrow. <laughs> the way it's been over the last few weeks, we, we've seen lenders, as I'm sure you probably have, we've seen lenders pull interest rates at, at, at yeah. two hours notice, get your application in by five or it's gone. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean very, very broad brush. Deposit wise, it's probably be 25, 30%, Charles. But it's mainly going to be driven by the rental income. How much that rental income will drive by way of the lend under the lender's debt servicing criteria. And every lender has a different debt servicing calculation they use. So we have to look at that in in depth. Um, pricing wise, sure. You're probably talking fixed rates, probably high sixes or around the 7% on a five-year fix. But again, it's just a moving feast. You know, until I know the exact criteria, what sort of deposit they've got, what the rental income's going to be, what type of property it is, yeah. because there's so many different things that each different lender will take into account before coming out with their pricing, Charles. It, you know, one of the things is the lender's always going to be, it's always going to be starting with a risk assessment, really. 
what's their risk assessment with that property? And obviously they'll look at the, the value of the property, they'll look at where it's located. Is it in a nice area? Is it a rundown area? If there was a problem with that property, what else could it be used for if it couldn't be continued to be let on a on a residential buy-to-let basis? So there's so many different factors they all take into account. But, you know, that, that's one of the things we do. We're always talking to clients, looking at what they're trying to achieve and, and, and then going out finding the best transaction for them. Charles and finance side. I understand. I mean, I, I, I know that down south, a lot of deals where you're putting down 25% deposit just don't stack up anymore because... You know, if you take a property of four hundred thousand and you put down a hundred thousand, um, your three hundred thousand mortgage at six percent is going to come yeah. out to say even interest only eighteen thousand. That's correct. The rent yeah. might not be eighteen thousand. The rent could be fifteen or sixteen, or even if it's eighteen, that's not going to the lender's yeah. not going to lend on it. So no. I, I know, and, and a friend of mine was quoted on a, on a on a property that he uses for Airbnb, so it's a holiday let type of mortgage. Yeah. Uh, he come to an end of a rate, and he was quoted nine percent. Mm -hmm. he's looking round at the moment but nine percent you know whereas you, you were saying six to seven percent which is not yeah. too bad yeah, just, as i say it all comes back to the the individual transaction yeah. what the lender's looking at experience type of property who's going to be in there as a tenant etc etc holiday lets obviously that's not a guaranteed income stream all year round so it might attract a slightly higher rate but you know again on some commercial transactions where we're looking at the high street banks. If you want a fixed rate, they're looking at nines and ten percents. Really? It's just a very, very difficult marketplace. And again, a marketplace that not many people have seen potentially in their lifespan. You know, someone in their early 30s has probably been living base, with base rate of one percent for almost all their life. And when you start to talk to them, well, base rate is five. And actually, it might not come down ever again below, say, three. They're almost horrified. <laughs> uh, but yeah, again, yeah. It's, like, it's like any transaction. As I say to clients, well, actually, you've got to assess what the cost of the finance is on the type of transaction. Then you've got to work out, is it worth doing or isn't it? And if it's not, walk away. Yeah. It's, it's as simple as that. It's like any anything in life, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right about the, the younger people probably never seen a, a big property recession. You know, I mean, sure, we, we've seen things where they were really bad, you know, in the 90s. I, I just saw going to an auction and, and there was no property selling, you know, like yeah, yeah. too sold. And the auction there went bust shortly afterwards. You know, it was literally, it was really bad out there. And there were properties going that, you know, they were cheap, but you couldn't get the loans for them. The bank no, of course. Them, and that, that of was course. the problem there. But, it, but again... <laughs> It's a tough market and it's going to remain a tough market yeah. for the foreseeable future. But I suppose in life, someone's downturn is potentially someone's upturn. So, you know, if properties are being sold cheap, there will be someone else in the market looking to snap those properties up. And yeah, maybe they can't raise the finance against that property, but perhaps they have another unencumbered property or there's more equity in another property and they can raise something against that, Charles. So yeah, you know, from my point of view, it's always understanding the client's whole portfolio and what they're trying to achieve. I suppose, you know, because of my background, I almost see myself coming in as a quasi-bank manager. Um, understand them, understand the business, understand what they're trying to achieve. And then let's look at the whole proposal, see what we can pull together. And is it viable for them or isn't it? Yeah, and, and you've got 273 lenders to, to fall back on, whereas you're not just, you know, I'm, this is NatWest criteria and that's it. So you know. it, it, it is, and look, 
I'm not going to knock the bank because I've worked there for donkey's years, Charles. But obviously, if you think about it, if you go to a bank to borrow money, you see someone who works for the bank and they've got a choice of one lender. If that client goes to a commercial finance broker, they've got someone who works for them, not a lender. And in our case, we've got 273 lenders behind us, including all the high street banks. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're no different to a residential mortgage broker. Lots and lots and lots of people use residential mortgage brokers for residential mortgages. But one thing we don't do, we don't do residential mortgages because you need to be regulated and we aren't regulated. We're not regulated. So, you know, we, we're same as a as a residential mortgage broker, but purely on the business side, purely on business finance, Charles. Buy to let, you would still do buy to let. Yeah, we can still do buy to lets, yeah. We predominantly do them uh, for lends to limited companies. And I must admit that is becoming more and more popular anyway. Yeah. yeah. I need accountants advice, but I'm being told that quite often that is the preferred route for, for clients to buy through a limited company rather than their private name. But as I say, yeah. I'm not giving advice on that. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And uh, I, I mean, I, I think with the high street lenders, they probably don't have to work as hard as the, the challenger banks in terms of getting business. So they're a bit more conservative. And No, I, I agree with you. Look, if they want to be, the high street banks can be the cheapest in the marketplace. They could knock everyone else out of kilter if they want to because they've got so much money sitting behind them, Charles. They've got so many, so much clients deposit sitting there to lend out. Um, yeah, yeah. But from their point of view, they've got very strict criteria and I understand why. Um, but if you find the right transaction, if they want to be, they'll be the cheapest lender. But the interesting statistics I saw earlier in the year was the first time ever for the year ended 2022, the challenger and specialist banks had a 55% share of the market in the commercial arena. Really? So now, suddenly the high street banks are not lending the most money. It's going to the challenger and specialist banks. And now that started, I can see the market going even further that way. And, in, and indeed, if I look at my own caseload after the last, over the last 18 months, less than 15% of the completed deals have been through a high street bank. Well, that's amazing. That's, that's Challenger banks are coming out, and some of them are giving very, very good pricing. And it, you know, we, we talked about this a moment ago, sort of around debt servicing criteria of the lenders. Well, what what sometimes happens is because their debt servicing criteria is so high, that will then drive down the amount they can actually lend on a loan to value basis, whereas other lenders might price it a little bit higher you might be able to borrow more charles i, I get you i get you yeah uh, and it, it's and, and that's really why someone needs to go to someone who's got their finger on the pulse in the in the commercial arena really um i agree most, most people if they've got a banking relationship regrettably over the last few years that might be diminished but again if they have got a banking relationship it's probably with one bank Charles, and if they ever get knocked back, they go, well, where do you go next? Yeah. And actually, and actually, do you want to go next door and next door again and next door again with the same application? Whereas you go to a commercial broker, they could put the same deal to four or five different lenders on day one 
with your consent and obviously they get a response much quicker okay it's only an outline response but it gives you a very very good steer if they want to take it the next step whereas a poor old customer has actually got to go to each separate lender present his case each time yeah, yeah. with accounts etc yeah and, and when i remember when we my partner and i we had a, a property that we wanted to buy for our business and we'd always banked in that business with hsbc but we had a local branch with a manager there he could you could talk to him about things you could get things done on the spot so he said yeah we can do that came in and came to see us and got the the, the loan agreed and it was done uh but but then that branch started to scale down they got rid of all the business managers and, and in fact it's closed down now so people yeah. can't have a business bank that, that they're dealing with some head office somewhere and half the time they're, they're speaking to an overseas call center so they haven't got the same relationship anymore so I think this is where brokers come into their own. But you mentioned about holiday lets. Of course, a lot of people are going into serviced accommodation, partly because of the tax relief benefit. We talked, we're not going to give tax advice, but you know, one of the problems people have got having a property in their own name is that they're hit by this George Osborne Section 24 tax hike. And you know, to move it to a limited company can be expensive and uh, you know, paying fees and stamp duty and all the rest of it and capital gains. So a lot of people are looking at serviced accommodation. And the, and the loans there are similar to a holiday let, right? So they're not the same kind of mortgage. You can't just have a buy-to-let mortgage and then let no, it no, that's wrong. Yeah. You know, on Airbnb. So can you help people with that sort of thing? Yeah. Again, it comes down to lenders will look at each case on its own merits. They want to understand the property. They want to understand the property location. They want to understand, is this the first one the client's done or they got past experience in it? Because that will be key. They want to understand... The type of tenants in in situ they want to understand whether it's a very short-term let or a short lease what what sort of ties in that tenant to the rental income streams and then again as we talked about before they'll do their own assessment on the rental income well okay you've got 100 100 of your tenants in generating x amount of rent well what happens if 25 percent of those tenants aren't there tomorrow or yeah. the day after yeah. because of the agreement they've got in place potentially will let them walk away at a very, very short notice. Well, if they walk away at short notice, you, the customer, still got to repay your, your debt to that that lender. And, you know, yeah. lenders are looking at it from the point of view, well, whilst people might not think this, the last thing a lender ever wants is to repossess a property. Because what on earth are they going to do with that property that, that someone else can't manage themselves? It's not their business. So the last thing they ever want to do is repossess it. So... That, that, that's why they assess everything in such great depth, Charles. But certainly there's lenders out there keen to help and support. I mean, I suppose that, that's the message I would get out is it is difficult times, but people and lenders still want to help and support businesses. Right. We're looking at everything in more depth, Charles. They want more information. They'll drill down further. But if it's the right business and the right proposition, they will still be keen to assist. It's just working with the right lender and, and knowing their their criteria and their debt servicing. There's no point me going to a lender when a client's approached me. If I know on day one that lender would never never touch it, it's pointless. And again, yeah. that's where our experience comes in. Yeah, I think some some of the people are, are, are doing these properties on the basis of uh, buying the property, and then instead of them doing the the Airbnb and all the rest of it, they lease it to a company who who just gives them a guaranteed rent. Uh, so similarly with people getting now into sort of supported living yeah. buying a property doing it up and getting a much higher rent by leasing it to a supported living provider so 
you've got to look at creatively when things are getting tough, how you can survive it, I think. Oh, oh very much so. And, and, and again, we're seeing situations where people are buying a commercial and under permitted development rights, converting that into, into two or three flats or doing it on a larger scale. We're seeing situations where people are buying what's deemed to be a commercial property, which might be a, a, sh a shop downstairs and a flat upstairs. But at the moment, there's only one entrance. So you couldn't let the shop and the flat to two individual two individual different people because there's only one entrance Correct. through the shop into the flat. So again, they're looking at buying something like that. They're getting planning permission to convert, to create two separate entrances. That enhances the value. That enhances the rental income. So people are becoming a lot more creative. Um, and again, I'm seeing situations where clients might own a couple of commercial units next door to each other and they're getting planning permission to build some flats on the back of it or build a couple of flats on the top, Charles, in the airspace. Yeah, yeah. People, there are opportunities out there and you're right, they, they are being more creative than they ever were, which is good news. Okay, so in that, in that case, if you're buying a shop that needs work, you could you could do the, the loan to buy it and maybe some lend get some lending for the the work to be done as well for the. Yeah, it's very much so, but we just need to be careful there because lenders will only ever lend on what the usage of that property is at the time of it. Right. So if you're going to buy a property and knock it around, you're not going to get any rental income from day one, and that's going to be key for a lender. So if you go down that type of route. You're potentially going to need a bridging loan to enable you to buy it. Yeah. it might also fund some of the fit-out costs, the refurbishment costs. And then once that property is in a habitable, lettable condition, it can then be placed onto a longer-term commercial mortgage, Charles. So you'd have an, uh, the, you'd arrange the bridging loan plus the escape route from the bridging loan. Yeah, very yeah, much so. And, and, and again, we've got a handful of lenders on handful of lenders that look at doing both aspects charles okay you give the client a bit of peace of mind that okay when, when they go into this bridging loan they can see the exit route immediately um and again if we can do that with the right place we can save them obviously on some solicitors fees etc because they haven't got to re remortgage that property and go through all the legal charge etc okay great and finally paul uh with with inflation coming down this week slightly and and uh, you know they're, they're saying that it's working now we've seen inflation come down by about one percent which is you know almost a 10 percent drop but obviously prices are still going up but has this have you seen this reflect some of the interest rates on mortgages since since because because you've got the swap markets maybe yeah yeah well i'll certainly say say it slowed down about in the last week charles okay. <laughs> you know sometimes a week before or prior to that we were getting five or six emails a day really? telling vendors were pulling their rates. You need your application in by five o'clock today or five o'clock tomorrow. Right. That's a whole application together with any accompanying paperwork if you're going to keep that rate. Otherwise, the rate was going to go up. I mean, it was interesting because um, a couple of weeks ago, I was at a breakfast meeting and they had someone down there from the Bank of England. And he was saying at that stage, they were fairly happy with the way that the utilities were going and they were coming down. They were fairly happy with food. They could Pretty see the food starting to come, to come down. He said their biggest problem at that stage was pay rises. Historically, he said pay rises probably 2 to 3%. But they were seeing them 7 or 8%, which was holding up yeah. everything. And, of course, we then had the recent situation where the, the government agreed the 
pay rises for teachers, etc., around the six, six and a half percent mark, which almost confirms what he said. Uh, and it's almost, well, he said, once, once we get pay rises under control, that's going to bring inflation down a bit further. Then once we can see inflation come down, we can see interest rates coming down. But again, I think the interest rate rises are going to slow down. I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one around the corner. And from what I've seen recently, there's been some predictions that base might now go up to 6% as a peak uh, before it starts to come down sometime in 2024. But the trouble is, it's just such a moving feast at the moment, Charles. Yeah. No one knows, no one can guarantee. And, you know, even talking to the guy from, from the Bank of England, understandably, he was very conservative. And I say, well, where do you think it's going to go? And, and I say, this was prior to the latest notification of inflation coming down. He said, at that stage, he said, at that stage, the market, and he stressed, the market is telling us base will get to six and a quarter. But obviously, what I've just said, I've seen this week, maybe it's going to peak at six, but don't put any money on what I've just said. <laughs> okay, so Paul is the man talking to the Bank of England. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, it, obviously, you, know. you do, there's a number of networking events. I know, I know. It, it's yeah. key to try and keep your finger on the pulse in what's yeah. happening in the marketplace, because if you can, you want to share that information with your clients. It's, yeah. it's useful for them, and that's the sort of thing we do. It's almost part of your CPD to get out there and learn things and learn what's going on. But, you know, I mean, the, the pay rises are a problem because the government, I mean, about half the population, half the working population indirectly or directly work for the government. So that's right. yeah. they all want 6%. <laughs> it's not going to help. But, no. but but that's been really useful, Paul. I, I think we have to do another session, um, maybe if, if something changes in the market. But is there anything else you wanted to add yourself or? Talk about how people get That's been really useful. I enjoyed that, Charles. It's been great, good to great. catch up with you and uh, yeah, just nice to spread a bit of information in the marketplace. Um, as I say, nothing's ever guaranteed, but, you know, we're always happy to talk to people and listen to what they're proposing to do. So for the older generation like you and me, Charles, remember old, old Busby, it costs nothing to talk. What are you talking about? <laughs> British I think it was Bob Hoskin that did the voice on and it was, I mean, it was the one with Bob Hoskins, but the Busby thing with British yeah. Telecom, the most annoying ad ever. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That's nothing to talk, does it? No, no, it's good to talk, as Bob Hoskins used to say. But yeah, yeah, uh, that's you, right. How do people get hold of you? I put you put your details up. Yeah, my details are there. Well. You know, the best best number is always the, the office number, but if anyone ever leaves a voicemail message, I'll guarantee that it's always returned. It might not be within an hour. It might not even be that afternoon. But I guarantee any messages are always returned. Okay, that's fantastic. Well, great to see you again, Paul. Thank you, Charles. You're doing well out there in the cold. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure you, you look you look happy. You're not stressed, probably, and uh, that, that's great. So yeah, nice to talk to you. Andrew, and thank you so much for your time. It's brilliant. No problem. And if you want to get a hold of Paul, his details are there. And I'm sure Paul will be able to help you with any commercial finance that you need. So thanks very much. Lovely. Thanks, Charles. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Money Tips. For more tips and information, visit moneytipsdaily.com. The information given in this podcast is for your entertainment and should not be construed as financial advice. As always, take independent financial advice before making any investment decisions. 